What's up, guys and gals? This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org, and I'm your host, Dave Stovall. Today's episode is David Rokup's last episode with us for a bit. He's talking to us about the five most important things that me and you need to know when leading discipleship groups. There are critical biblical keys that every discipleship group leader needs to know and understand to see serious transformation of life in his or her group's members. David discusses and illustrates each of these keys and how to apply them to situations and circumstances that each of us face as we begin to develop a discipleship group. Let's listen into David as he encourages us today and teaches us how to begin these groups really well. Enjoy the episode, everybody. Well, I want to welcome you to our session this afternoon. I hope it'll be beneficial and helpful for you and encouraging. My name is David Roadcup. I actually live in Florence, Kentucky, just south of uh, Cincinnati there. I was uh, on the faculty at Cincinnati Christian University for 14 years before uh, taking a position nine years ago with TCM. I'm a full-time professor of uh, discipleship and spiritual formation are the areas I work in and also have a wonderful, wonderful um, uh, side ministry uh, called our E2 Elders Ministry. 14 years ago, Gary Johnson and Jim Estep and I were over at House Edelweiss with TCM Teaching, and uh, College Press had asked us to write one book on the eldership. And so we did that, and we said, you know, there's so much more we haven't covered here. So this last summer, I think it was, we released our 11th book that we've done. I say to my two colleagues, uh, you know, how many how many of these do we have to write, <laughs> you know, before the message really finally gets out? But we, we write one and release it. And then, you know, three or four months later, really, people are calling saying, Would you, can you give us another one? Give us another one, you know. So maybe one of the most popular ones we've done is called um, The Issue of Having Problems and Having Solutions. Conflict and Resolution is the name of the book. We have done so many meetings with, uh, I just call them referee meetings, where it's the elders against the staff, you know, or it's many times the preacher and two elders against the youth minister and two elders. And so we just go in and... Um, there's always somebody responsible for the problem. And first thing you have to do is figure out what's going on and what happened and who is ultimately responsible. And um, a lot of prayer before those meetings, asking the Holy Spirit to come and uh, begin to work through people's hearts. And, uh, but it's been an incredible run with those two guys. We've done over 55 Saturday seminars all over the country and have sold just a little over 80,000 books uh, on the eldership. And um, really hoping that it'll bless churches and bless leaders. And I know I don't have to tell most of you who are here this, but as the leadership of a church goes, so goes the church. That'll always be true. You know, strong leaders with vision, things happen in those churches, you know. So just the whole idea of helping the leadership and really why I wanted to come and do this seminar with you today is to help you as a leader to do everything you can to bring the concept of discipling, not just talking about it, and uh, describing what a wonderful experience it is, but really getting boots on the ground and having church staff and elders actually really begin to do the idea of Jesus discipling the 12 in our context as, an, as American churches, having it done right here. So I hope uh, if you've been with me before uh, in the previous seminars, hope it's been beneficial for you. This particular seminar has this flavor, you know, standing back and looking over the, the whole ministry of discipling that I've done uh, over, over, the, over the decades, just saying to myself, what, what are the main chunks that people would really need to know, getting up on the bridge of the ship, 
you know, 33,000 feet above ground and, and looking at what are the main pieces that need to be in place for you to have a really effective discipling ministry. So that's the contents of this outline. Really excited also today to have two of my close brothers with me who have gone through the discipling experience with me. And uh, they're going to just get up and tell their experience. And then one of the brothers has been discipled and is now leading his own discipling group in our church. So it'll be really interesting just to hear from them and hear their perspective and hopefully be very encouraging for you to know that with the system we'll talk about, lay, lay people can actually be D-group leaders themselves. Lay people can actually lead D-groups if there's a transferable model. And one of my students from a class I taught called uh, Assimilation and Development of Church Members listened to the class. Then he went back to his church and he said, you know, I've got some ideas and I'm just going to start experimenting and came up with a model that I think is uh, unbelievably effective in our day and time in the average church. We'll talk about that today for sure. So before we actually begin, why don't we do the most important thing we're going to do today, which is to seek the Lord together and just ask him to bless our time. So pray with me if you would. Holy Father, we want to thank you for every person who's in this group right now. We just pray, Father, that you would please give us exactly what we need from your word today and from the encouragement we share together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, we love your church and we want your church to be strong and to grow and to, to multiply. And we just pray you would give us clear communication today and understanding about how we can do this in the most effective means. Now, Father, please let your Holy Spirit be the teacher here today. And please give to every single person in this room exactly what they need from our time together and from your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So looking at the main chunks of what you would need if you were going to actually be leading a discipling group, let me mention again that um, men are doing this with men. But I want to say, brothers, it's very important that we also assist women in getting groups up for women as well. Because our lady, our wives, our ladies need this exact thing that we're talking about. And sometimes you hear, hear a, kind of a, a theme about we need to do this with men in the church, which we do. But we need to do the very same thing with ladies as well. We'll talk about that just a little later. So some indispensable things in life. We've talked about this just a little bit in a previous meeting. You know, but the idea that there are some things that are indispensable when you talk about a uh, sewing machine maybe. You know, there's a, a bobbin there that has to be filled, I understand, for the machine to work. Uh, I always think about the spark plugs in a gas engine. You know, you can have the very best engine. If there are no spark plugs, not a lot is going to happen. And so in terms of indispensable things, you know, what are those in a, in a really solid biblical discipling ministry? I'd like to go and just dive right in and talk about number one, first of all, which is the idea of the disciplines of prayer and fasting. Uh, there are uh, many important disciplines that we need to be given, giving attention to. If you're in leadership, though, I will just tell you, this is my 56th year of ministry. One of the main things that I've learned is that if I will allow God to do his ministry through me on his power, so much more is accomplished. You know, you know when, you, when you're very young, sometimes one of the things you think about is, you know, you know if, if, I'm, if I just really do a good job preaching, if I've got some personality and I can be on stage and be engaging and uh, so forth, if I do those things, we'll be able to have a good ministry. And when you finally grow up a little bit and understand that those things actually will help you temporarily to get started. You know, but if you try to, to run your ministry on those, it's pretty thin gruel, I promise you. 
And uh, so you finally grow to the place where you understand the incredible power of prayer from a godly life. You know, the fact that we seek the Lord uh, repeatedly and we're in his presence on a regular basis. And my, my life is characterized by purity because I really plan to do that. And that's how I've decided to live. And I understand then that I add to that fasting. Uh, it, it's, it, there is no one verse that says this, but there are implications all over the New Testament. It's the idea that when you're praying, that's a wonderful thing. When you add fasting to your prayer time, it just seems to get God's attention with more intensity. It truly does. And so uh, as I talk about fasting, if you are fasting on a pretty regular basis right now, God bless you and keep up the good work. If you're not fasting at all, if it's never really found its way into your spiritual journey, can I just encourage you to go ahead and look into the discipline and just start out very slowly. Just begin slowly, you know. I had a woman who was leading a group, and she said a lady in her group just said to her, you know, I want to just tell you on a sidebar here that I, I, I cannot fast. I can't fast. I just can't. No medical reason. It was just her emotional attachment to food, which I totally understand completely. And uh, so the leader had the great wisdom to say to her, well, why don't we do this? Let's begin here. Why don't we agree that we'll fast through breakfast and, and break our fast at 10 o'clock? So don't, don't eat on the, our first day together until 10 and then have breakfast. And they did that for several weeks and worked really well. And she said, no, why don't we go till noon? And, uh, and, and so and actually now the woman who said that she absolutely could not ever fast is, is, a, is a serious fasting warrior, fasting in prayer. You know, just starting slowly, working up to it, that kind of an idea. But I will tell you that fasting clarifies so much in your mind. Uh, it, it kind of refines you in some ways, and uh, it's very, very powerful when you add fasting to what you're doing. So I would really recommend that you make every attempt to make this part of your spiritual regimen, for sure. Uh, in the idea of prayer and fasting, we follow Jesus' example in that he was a man of prayer, mighty warrior in prayer. Sometimes we don't kind of link together all of the parts of Jesus' life where he prays. But interestingly enough, he begins... His public ministry ministered with 40 days of fasting and prayer. That's how he starts his public ministry. And then when you look at the text, you find out he is praying when he does miracles. He's praying before he eats. It's over and over and over again, Jesus is praying. Uh, prayed at the, uh, at the uh, Garden of Gethsemane. You know, prays at the final Passover, uh, and just, just repeatedly. Praying in the garden, finally he's crucified and prays on the cross repeatedly. The very last words of Jesus before he passed were, was a prayer. You know, so we see that prayer filled Jesus' life over and over again, working with the disciples. Jesus would say to them, guys, get in the boat, row over to the other side. I'll meet you over there later on tonight. He says he goes up into a mountain by himself and watches ESPN. You know, just really, really going to enjoy himself. You know, and there's nothing wrong with watching ESPN. Trust me, it's okay. But he goes up on the mountain, and here's what he does. He seeks his heavenly Father's face. Just before he chose his disciples, he went up on, onto the mountain, and he prayed all night before choosing the twelve. Very significant move there for sure. So we know that Jesus really believed in prayer and fasting and practiced it, taught about it, and uh, just understanding that there is power that comes, from, uh, comes to us in our ministries when we are really seeking the Lord through extreme prayer, fasting, and so forth, all of that, very important. So the leader 
really needs to be cultivating these disciplines in their lives in terms of the leadership power that they need to be practicing for sure. A couple of things that we need to learn along with our prayer and fasting are simply this, that the power for my ministry does not come from me. It definitely comes from the Holy Spirit working through my life in prayer. You know, just amazing to me. Over and over again, it says, and Jesus came into Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, or Jesus comes to Judea preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, and I have to tell you, and I'm sure you can identify with me, I, I am not a Pentecostal, honestly. I've got a lot of really great Pentecostal friends. You know, I'm not, not necessarily charismatic. I do have the gift of the Holy Spirit powerfully in my life. You know, but, but I'm just telling you, you know, that there is incredible power in the Holy Spirit to do our ministries when we, when we understand the principle that we're talking about here. And so um, knowing that the Lord is behind my ministry, you know, I'm just a tool in the Lord's hands, basically, is, is what I am. Uh, I would say to my students all the time, you know, please don't ever think that ministry is being done because, uh, because of your great personality and your, your great stage presence. You know, that's not it. It's the idea that you prepared yourself in your prayer closet before you ever got to the place where you're speaking or you're teaching. You do the pre-preparation the pre, the pre -preparation, uh, in that spiritual area. If you look at 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 through 6, there in your outline, on down just a little bit. By the way, with our outline, we won't cover every line uh, that's on here. There's more on here than we can ever cover, and I would just ask you to go home and take what we don't go over and really and read and study for yourself if you would. But we do need to, need to uh, look at these two passages in 2 Corinthians. The first one, chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, Paul writes and says, Such confidence we have through Christ toward God, not that we are adequate to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. You all, just so, so important we see that. Our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And then companion text, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. And if we can learn this early in our ministries, learn it as we're continuing to grow in our faith, I think we have a good handle on effective ministry. You know, that God is the power behind everything we do. And just keeping that in mind and understanding that when we go before God with a sincere heart, with a pure life, and we ask Him to do things in our church, in our marriage, with our children, that God hears those, hears those prayers. And it just makes a, a huge difference. Knowing that the power for our ministry is not from ourselves, but it's from God who called us into a leadership. I know you know this verse from Zechariah 4, 6, and what's, what's being said here. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. By my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So just planning on the fact that the Holy Spirit is the power source for us. I tell my students all the time, your main role in the kingdom is being a hammer. You're a hammer. And that has nothing to do with the commercials we hear on TV. Please don't go there, you know, about being a hammer. But you notice that, uh, that there is a, a tool, drives nails. And, um, you know, the issue is that God is the one building the building. We're just a tool in his hands. That's all we are. And so we're a hammer. A better one than that, I think, is just thinking about the fact that you really are a garden hose in the kingdom of God. 
your garden hose. You know, out here is a beautiful, uh, beautiful flower and vegetable garden. Middle of August, we've been doing some picking, but still have a lot more to go. And the owner of the house comes out and turns on the garden hose with that um, spigot on the front where you can turn it off and turn it on, that kind of a thing. Uh, throws the garden hose out in the middle of the, uh, the garden to begin watering the plants and the, the vegetable uh, growing and all. And the owner goes back inside and the garden hose raises up like a cobra, you know, and is, is watering everybody. And all the plants are saying, oh, garden hose, thank you so much for bringing life to us. Thank you. You know, we wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for you. And the garden hose makes the big mistake of saying, well, that's okay. I'm glad that I could do this for you, you know. And the garden hose is a conduit for the life-giving water to, to, to give life to all of those plants. Brothers and sisters, if I ever see myself as anything but a garden hose in the kingdom of God, I'm getting way out over, over the end of my skis. I really am, you know. God is the source of all of my ministry. Any success at all I have is due to the Holy Spirit. And just praying, Lord, every time I get up to speak or teach or lead or do any of those things, Please help me stand behind the cross every time so that Jesus is seen more than anything else. And I'm back behind the cross. You're using me in that situation. But, but the main thing is that Jesus is seen first and foremost is a good way, I think, to live our lives for sure. So we submit all of our work and our efforts to the Lord. This comes actually from Proverbs 16 and Psalm 37 as well depending on prayer, on fasting, for results from my ministry. Here's a phrase that I learned a long time ago, you all, that I just remember on a frequent basis. When I work, I work. When I pray, God works. If you just keep that in mind, it's a big, big piece to seeing the biblical fruit from, from your ministry. So if I'm thinking about starting a discipling ministry or a discipling group, if I would just keep this in mind, the power behind anything we want to have happen in the lives of our people come from me being in my prayer closet with the door shut and I'm seeking the Lord and I'm praying for the presence of the Holy Spirit and His power to be seen. Uh, I will tell you that that's the beginning. That's the beginning of biblical effective ministry. You know, that, that's where we have, have to start. Number two that goes along with that, very important, is exposure to the Word of God and its application. Exposure to the Word of God and its application. There are many, many elements that go into making, to encouraging people to grow in their faith. But I will tell you this, really, absolutely. When we expose people to the Word of God on a daily or regular basis, it is the, the most significant tool we can utilize to see transformation of life take place in their lives. It's, it's the most powerful tool. Now, we might say prayer. Yes, yes, bless you. We might say prayer. And, of course, it's, tr it's true. That's a fact. But exposing people to, to the Word on a regular basis. Here are a couple of quotes that are incredibly significant. The first one comes from the book called Move. Maybe you're aware of the study that was done at Willow Creek a number of years ago. I'm trying to think of the name of, of the booklet. They, yes, thank you. Yeah, it was the Reveal study where Willow Creek brought in a very, very high-pressure high, uh, um, research group. And they came in and they just scoured Willow Creek from one end to the other. And they decided that Willow Creek was a failure. The 30-year history of Willow Creek was a failure. That's what Heibel said himself. Now, obviously, I think a lot of people came to Christ during those years in South Barrington. You know, but overall, they wound up with the fact that such a small fraction percentage of the members were involved in ministry. Most people were coming for the show. 
Uh, th that's what the research indicated. And in that, in that whole study, they turned, it in, they turned the study into a book. And the name of the book is just Move. If you'd like to pick that up, I'll tell you, in terms of assimilation, man, it's un unbelievable revealing. Just so good. In that uh, book by Hawkins and Parkinson, um, they wrote and said, nothing has a greater impact on spiritual growth than reflection on Scripture. If churches could do only one thing to help people at all levels of spiritual maturity grow in their relationship with Christ, their choice is clear. They would inspire, encourage, and equip their people to read the Bible specifically to reflect on Scripture for meaning in their lives. Pretty powerful insight that, that this group found out about Willow. John Farquhar, one of the world's leading experts on Bible engagement and spiritual growth, writes this, An individual's relationship with the Bible is the single most powerful predictor of his or her overall spiritual health. That's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. You know, yeah, people who are doing really deep research. Look at Isaiah 55, 11. I love this text. So will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. It's a great promise you all for us to, to hang on to. Pretty incredible. And then Paul chimes in as well in 1 Thessalonians 2. And he says, as for this, And for this reason, we constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Doesn't get any clearer than that, does it? It's right on the money. It's the word of God that radically changes people's lives. So we ask the question then, how can we get the word of God into the lives of busy Americans who have way, way too much going on in their lives? How do we make that happen? And the model I want to roll out for you today, why I'm so excited about it, is that it centers on the Word of God. It's the main thing that you do, you know, maybe more than anything else. So hang on to that next paragraph. We'll come back to that. Number three class is the whole idea of proximity. Proximity. You know, how is it that we um, are able to really bring impact to the lives of our people? We have meetings with them on a, on a weekly basis. We study Scripture together. We pray together. All of those things. That's very cr critical and very important. But let me tell you, the next thing in line is what a master plan of evangelism calls association. You know, it's meeting with people outside the formal meeting and getting time with them. It's doing things outside the meeting informally, sharing your life, opening your home, going on trips together, eating together. Uh, the, uh, th those are the things that Jesus powerfully used to change the lives of the 12 apostles. Very much so. Uh, Coleman calls it uh, association. You can call it proximity. Figuring out how can I be with the people that I'm working with outside our formal meeting. There's uh, a couple of great, great quotes in here. Howard Hendricks always used to say, you impress people from a distance, you impact them up close. And, and there's a lot of truth to that, absolutely, for sure. There's a quote in here by Coleman, too, you might want to read, where he simply talks about this. He says, you know, Churches and sermons and Bible school lessons, that's all, all important. That's really good. He makes the point, though, if you are trying to facilitate spiritual transformation in the lives of your people by your preaching and your Sunday school lessons, it will never happen. It's not going to happen. Now, I taught preaching for eight years. You know, I am a preacher. I was ordained to preach. I love preaching. 
So I'm not down on preaching in any way, shape, or form. It's just this, brothers and sisters, listen to me. I will talk to a senior minister and say, tell me what you're doing in your church and discipling. And the senior minister says, my, my preaching is how I disciple people. Yeah. And, and, and I will tell you that if, if, if you depended, if we depend on preaching to really create disciples, all of our churches would be full of disciples. I mean, really transform people, you know. And so please, please hear me. Hear me loud and clearly, everyone. I love preaching and I am a preacher and I will preach until the day I go home. I'm just telling you, we don't change our preaching regimen. We have to add to it. We have to have something more than just preaching because preaching is not getting it. And please, I don't want to be, I want, don't you think I'm negative? I really am not. But we have to do something more. If spiritual transformation in the lives of your people is truly important to you, we must stand back and ask ourselves this question. If the people for whom I am spiritually responsible in mass are not experiencing personal spiritual transformation, what I'm doing is not getting it. You know, what, what we've done maybe for, 50, 50, for 100 years here, here in our church, whatever we're doing, it, it's not getting, it's not enough. Something has to be added to that, and what is it? Here's what it is. It's taking Jesus' model of transforming the lives of his disciples and doing it in our churches, which we can do, very much so. So just, just kind of keep that in mind. We'll come back to that in a minute. This is proximity. Uh, I have a list of things here you can do in terms of proximity. These are just suggestions. You know, getting coffee together, praying together, going on trips together, breakfast, lunch, dinners, all of those things, sharing our interests and our passions. Um, with my two brothers here, both of them have a background. One is a 30-year, 30-year um, infantry. Uh, what was your rank, George, when you... No, no, come on. I want you to, I want you to tell us. Yeah, colonel uh, in... Yeah, uh, a colonel in, in the military. So, firearms... Our other brother is a 25-year veteran policeman in the sheriff's department. So the fact that we may just happen to have a common interest in firearms, you know, I mean, I, I just grew up in a military family. It was no big deal to have firearms around the house. All, all of our family members did. And uh, so we three share a love of just talking about uh, firearms and, you know, picking up one on occasion together and various things like that. Uh, a, a way that we can communicate and connect. I mean, whatever it might be for you as well. That's the idea, though. We have to do things outside our formal meeting if we're going to leverage the impact that we really honestly want to have. And I have a number of other things here that you can also, uh, also look at. We have about eight guys in the church where I attend. They're all serious, serious woodworkers. They've got all the stuff in their garage, all the machines, you know, and make beautiful, beautiful things. They, they about once a month get together and they have coffee or have breakfast they went to a woodworking show altogether a couple of months ago. You know, finding those areas outside the meeting where we can connect and uh, spend time together is absolutely critical. Interestingly enough, Plato said this 3,000 years ago. He said, I learned more about a person in an hour of play than in a year of conversation. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very, very significant. Number four, class, is simply this. Uh, careful recruiting how we recruit people to be in our groups, how we communicate to them what we're doing, how we invite them into our groups is very important. Now, I know that some of us have gone through this last hour, so I don't want to belabor the point a great deal. If you will read through this when you get home, and just understand this, the way that you recruit men or women to be in your group 
has a huge effect on whether the group is successful or whether it falls apart. So very careful recruiting, one-on-one. Use the covenant that I'll show you in just a minute. You know, give them a copy of the covenant. Ask them to read through it with you. Pray about it. Show it to their wives or to their husbands, so forth. So if you started a group as like a pastor, would you go to each person individually still and announce it or just... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, let's say if you, you as the pastor were actually going to start a discipling group, I, I would say start with four men maybe, maybe five at the most, and, and I would visit with each one of them individually over coffee and, and invite them to join me in this, uh, this journey we're going to take for the next 10 months. Also, it's not a small group. Um, well, it actually, yes, it isn't a small home Bible study life group. This is, this is that group on steroids is what this is, you know. <laughs> So it's it's just you with with four men from your church, and you're gonna you're gonna begin this discipling journey together. So it is kind of a small group, yes, to a certain extent. But you wouldn't announce it to the church. Uh, not at first, yeah, yeah. I would not start out by saying to the church, "We're starting a new ministry called discipling. Anybody who wants to be in, uh, sign up out in the out in the foyer." You know, you don't want to do that. Now, now our experience has been we are at the end of our fourth year. At the church where, uh, where David and I attend, uh, George has a preaching ministry up in northern, north central Ohio. Um, we have said very little uh, to the church about what we're doing. Uh, we have just uh, slowly started. We started with one group four years ago. Next year, we had two groups. Third year, we had two groups. And the fourth year, we have eight groups this year. You know, we just needed some time to train some men to get them involved, to kind of let it percolate. And then last year we pulled the trigger and we have eight groups this year meeting every week. We're really praying and hoping that this coming fall we can have as many as maybe 20 groups. You know, so we'll bump up from 44 men this year to as much as 100 men this coming fall. Uh, So you can kind of see the exponential growth of this and how it all works, okay? So in recruiting, uh, again, you just very carefully recruit. the, The outline will teach you how to do that. Meet one-on-one, give them a copy of the covenant. Would you pray about this? Show it to your spouse, and then I'll call you in a few days, and if you want to be with me for the next 10 months, I'm inviting you to formally do that. Sometimes the person you're talking to will say, I don't need to call you. Sign me up. I'm there. You know. And I always say to them, I love your enthusiasm, and okay, but before we, we formalize it, please go home and give this to your wife and let her read it. And I and, and I want you to I want you to pray a couple of days about this because this is actually a very significant commitment. It's a meeting every week, except the week of Thanksgiving and two weeks of Christmas, and it's reading a chapter or two of Scripture every day for the next ten months. You you are not allowed to miss, not allowed to miss one day. You know, if you're going along and you you it dawns on you that it's quarter to twelve at night and you have not had a chance to read your chapter that day, do not go to bed. Go to the family room, turn the light on, read your chapter, and do your two response questions. You know, you're not, and somebody says, you know, the, the only problem with that is, that, this, this sounds legalistic to me. I mean, you're telling me I can't go to bed unless I've read a verse, a verse of Scripture. That sounds legalistic. And my response to that is, oh, no, you don't understand. This is far beyond legalistic. This is called boot camp, is what this is called, you know. These are two a days in August, if you played football, coming out through the ranks. And, and this is totally different than any other program in the church. 
There's starch in this program and a high level of accountability. And not every man in our church can do this. Really, this last year, I think I invited 15 different men to be in my group one at a time. And, uh, and I have a group of seven. So you can see that a number of guys said, love the idea. I don't have the bandwidth to do that. Or uh, love the idea. I, I'm, not, I'm just not there. You know? And I always say to them, that's okay if you're not there. I'd like to keep you on the list. And I will circle around later on and pick you up again uh, with your permission. So uh, that's kind of the whole idea behind the, the idea of recruiting. So you know, there's more information here. Please uh, read through these. It should give you plenty of information on how to approach someone. Uh, number five is simply this. It's the involvement of disciple, the, the disciples that you had. One of the main things about, about growing as a disciple is being involved in, in what's going on, in some way having some skin in the game. And uh, a wonderful thing is to have guys in your group and use them in every way you can in your ministry, uh, but also then... When they begin leading groups of their own, I will tell you that they, they are just involved in one of the most significant things the church could be doing. Just re re absolutely incredible. But, but there must be involvement. The, the guys cannot sit and watch, and that's all they do. They have to be involved in some way. So right now, with the group that I have, we've been together for about, uh, about eight and a half months now. Uh, I am now... Uh, calling these guys and saying, this coming Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock, I want you to be the leader. Okay, you lead. So I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to come in, get a donut, a cup of coffee, and you're totally in charge, uh, for good or for bad, however it goes. You are in charge of this. And I, I will tell you, guys are phenomenal. They're fan they're, they're, you know, many of the guys in our groups are four or five level leaders and do extremely well. And uh, but, but you must involve them in the group in, in the group in some way outside. So that, that's involvement. And there are a number of other things on here about that. Y'all, I've given you some resources here at the end. And let me just mention that if you were to say to me, tell me the couple of books that I really need to read to learn as much about this as I can. I would really recommend these ones that are at the top of the resource list. Master Plan of Evangelism by Coleman. It is a classic. You have to read that for sure. Transforming Discipleship by Greg Ogden is absolutely fantastic. It's an incredible book on discipling. Insourcing by Randy Pope. And The Training of the Twelve is an old, old book, but it's full of principles. And it, you just can't get any better than what Bruce did. It's probably 100 years old. But uh, when you have a book that's full of principles as opposed to trends maybe or something like that, it, it, it's, it's always true. It's always good. And I really re recommend A.B. Bruce's um, uh, 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 Training of the Twelve. So that's kind of a, a smattering of really critical aspects in the discipling experience. I thought it would just be so interesting to have two men who have gone through it, who are laymen, and who could come up and just kind of share their perspective. So this is, uh, yes. Mm -hmm. I would do a microgroup from starting that. How, this sounds a lot like that. Is, there, is this similar to... The microgroups that we're doing, we're modeling after Peter, not, not the 12, but going with James and John and Peter and having that close-knit group. Is this, is this model similar to that? It has a lot of similarities, yes. It's mm -hmm. not the same, but similar? Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of the same flavor, some similar practices and all, but just a little different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and by the way, that, 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 that's also an excellent group. And for sure. So I would highly recommend them. Yeah. So I'd like to have our, our two special speakers come up and say a word. Yes. 
Break up on where it's um, where you said if somebody's going to miss uh, a, a week, they can't miss any weeks. Like what happens if they have a family vacation or mm -hmm. something like that? I mean, yeah. are, they, are they told you got to plan everything around this one meeting, or how mm -hmm. do you handle that? Yeah, in the in the covenant that's there on your on your paper, we say to the guys when we're getting ready to start, we say, you know, the meetings are mandatory. Absolutely. If you are sick, working out of town or have a family emergency of any kind, you know, we'll, we'll pray for you when you're doing that. You know, yeah. I mean, I mean, if you have to work, you have to work. You know, if there's some emergency that comes up and you really can't be there, then no, go, go take care of that. That's fine. So there's a lot of grace along with the starch we put into the, into the program. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of flexibility there. Yeah. I'll tell you, it, 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 if a guy is falling down on his assignments, um, you, know, you, you just need to pull him aside privately and just say, Hey, you know, you know, love you, you know, we want to help you in every way we can, but you have a decision you, you need to make. Really, you're, you're, we're either in or out on what we agreed to do. And, uh, you know, just we want you to pray about it and then let me know what you want to do. I have to tell you, though, that I, I have never lost with, I think, the recruiting process we talked about. Uh, I have never lost one guy in um, over 450 men that I've met with over the last 40 years. Um, never had one guy who didn't follow through. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. Yes. Do you have an example of the of the notebook that you mm -hmm. use, or the, the, the reading? Uh, what books do you cover? You just do Matthew through Revelation, or, or Genesis? Yes. Or? Yeah, I'll tell you right now. Um, uh, would you? Are, is there an extra copy of this outline that I handed out? Anyone laying around? I think we might have handed them all out. Yeah. There's. Um, okay. Uh, I'll, I'll just go ahead and use George's here real sure. quick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you uh, will turn uh, to the very back of your um, your outline, there are couple, should be a couple of pages back there. The, fir the first one is the Covenant, which is on page seven. And just thought I'd give you a copy of this. This, this is what we use, you know, kind of go through it. If you need to modify it or adjust it in some way, I'm, this is just a model. Works really well for us, but um, you can read through that and see. And so I would meet with the guy. At Starbucks, I would say, you know, this is what we're asking. We're all going to make a commitment to do this. Let's read through it a line at a time. Take it home and show it to your wife. Then in terms of the study book, the first time we meet, everybody gets a white three-ring binder. And it has this page multiple times from the middle of September all the way through to the end of May. If you notice up here, there's the day, there's the day of the week, October 2nd. And the scripture you need them to read, Mark chapter 2. And then October 3rd, Mark chapter 3. So every guy is reading the exact same chapters every day. Now, with men, you have to put this on paper in a notebook. Okay, yeah. Or else if you just try to say, read the next seven chapters, what happens is they'll call you and say, was that, was that Matthew or was that John we're reading in? And what chapters were those? You know. So here it is, you know, just on paper. And guys can follow along. You see the two Bible discovery questions. You know, the first one is, what was the main thing God told me personally in this chapter? Second question, how am I going to live this out in my daily life? Just, I say to the guys, just write one, one, uh, one sentence. You don't need to do any more. You know, so much fun. I can see the notebooks around the table, you know, and the guys have filled all of these blanks in and written down the side margins and, and the whole, the whole page is full. And you, you know, you're cooking, you know, when guys are doing that.
So uh, they read seven chapters a day, seven chapters a week, one, one chapter a day. When we meet for our meeting on Tuesday, you pick, you, out of the seven chapters, you pick two chapters to report on. So you say, so a guy says, yeah, turn to Mark 2, these verses, and then turn to Mark 7. And let me tell you what, what I got out of that chapter. So they do two of the seven chapters, and they are reporting, and you are the color coordinator. And your, your men or women are actually furnishing the teaching, and you're just guiding it, and you're making comments, and you're asking questions, and you're the color commentator. That's why this model is so transferable to lay people. You know, laymen can do this because there's a minimal amount. Your main job is to make the coffee, you know, to show up, make the coffee, to pray every day for your people, and just to facilitate a discussion where the, the guys or the women are bringing the content of the lesson. I did have a, a really high, uh, high up uh, academic uh, say to me. Uh, he asked me what I was doing, and I showed him this, and he said, he said I cannot believe that th this is your Bible study. Are you kidding me? I mean, this is terrible. I mean, you got, you got lay people coming here together for a group grope, you know, and no one really, I mean, I, I would never use that. And I said, well, okay, it's okay. You know, everybody has their own thing. But by the way, if you're not going to use this, what, 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 what are you using with your men right now? So and, and he said, no, he said, oh, um, <laughs> and the, the brother said to me, and I love this guy. I really do. He said, uh, I, I don't have a D group. And I said, yeah, he said, I, I'm, I'm, I don't have a group. And I said, well, okay, you, you know, you may want to think about doing the Lord's will or not. I mean, just, you know, yes. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure with that, when, or if somebody does start veering off into some known false teaching or heresy that you help uh, um, pull them back. Very good. Yes, yes. You, you, you are the leader. And the color co uh, uh, commentator as well. And if somebody does bring up, uh, you have a, uh, a um, Jehovah's Witness who came to the Lord five years ago, but still loves a lot of the books that he read when he was a JW, you know. So, uh, so we want to help this brother get as strong as we can. Just, just be careful because some things can kind of creep in there. And uh, j just, just be careful. Uh, brothers, what, what I, would you hold your questions? I want to make sure our guys get time and don't forget what the write your question down if you will so you don't forget it i really want us to answer those mm -hmm. yeah okay thanks everyone god bless you well that's all we've got for today i hope that you enjoyed hearing from david brokup i know that i always do I always walk away with some new piece of information and with my heart moved in the right direction up next, we're going to be hearing from Doug Burrier of Sustainable Discipleship. So if you haven't clicked the subscribe button, I encourage you to do so now so that you know when I release that. Also, Nashvillians, we've got the Forum City Tour coming up this October 27th and 28th. If you are in this area, go ahead and buy those tickets and come to my church, Harvard Christian Church in Franklin, and enjoy your time with us as we learn to become better disciple makers together. All right, y'all, enjoy the rest of your day, and I hope to catch you on the next episode. We'll see you.